I'm sure to be tremendously blessed through the ministry of uh, Reverend David Robertson and this afternoon Reverend Kenny Bosworth. It's, it's going to be a day of tremendous impact and, and I want to encourage us here to, to come with open hearts and open minds to what God will say and do through the ministry. But let's just take a moment just to commit ourselves before the Lord and pray. Let's pray together, friends. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we this morning come here with expectant hearts. We expect you to do something quite miraculous and supernatural that you reveal yourself to us through the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray for our speakers, Father God, you would give them clarity of thought and speech, that they would be able to share with us exactly what you have laid on their hearts to minister to your people. So Father God, we come up here this morning, we surrender ourselves before the throne of grace. Asking that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds, and transform us into the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. So, Father God, be with each of us at this time as we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. 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 Yes. I just noticed these folks across the road there are these in a long line of Saturday morning. <laughs> no any more than no. <laughs> anyway, it's a, an extreme pleasure for me and for you guys to introduce. David Robertson, let's give him a round of applause. I like the idea that you applaud before. <laughs> Takes the pressure off. Um, first of all, I want to apologise for a couple of things. Uh, um, it's a privilege to be with you, but I'm an East Coaster, so I don't speak your language. <laughs> So I'm not saying we're parochial in Scotland, but I was speaking in a small town in Fife, and this woman came up to me afterward, and she was 97 year old, and I said, "Are you from here?" And she went, "Oh no, son. Oh no, no. I've only lived here 50 years." <laughs> and I, I said, "Where are you from?" She says, "I'm from Garden Den. It was two miles up the road." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that, that sense of community that we have in Scotland, which is basically we 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 put down everybody else so that we feel okay about the dump we live in. You know. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, I I do. It is a privilege to be with you. I also do want to apologise because I'm delighted that my friend uh, Kenny is here, and um, I, I've I find Kenny uh, a fascinating character in lots of ways. And a great encouragement, because no matter how much I slag him off, which is the Scottish thing to do, you know, he just smiles and takes it all. I just, you know, so I think I'm going to start being nice to him, and then <laughs> that'll really freak him out. Um, but I normally, you know, come to these things, and I like to hang around and chat with people and so on. But I'm moving to Australia in two weeks, and it's just kind of hit me that that's what's happening. So. When I got out of bed this morning and said, um, I'm off to Glasgow, to my wife, she said, what? So I said, no, no, I will be back at lunchtime, I'll help you pack. <laughs> I better not leave it to her. But, um, so I please do apologise for that. Now I was thinking that the remit that I was given was, was such a good one in terms of evangelism. And I was sitting down thinking, alright, we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll talk about that. And then you thought, do you know what? I kind of, because I'm going to Australia, I basically cancelled everything I was speaking at except this. And I thought, there's a reason for it. And the reason is very simple. I, 
I just want to talk about Christ because that's what I'm going to Australia to do and I thought what a great way for me to finish off speaking in Scotland speaking to a, a bunch of guys about Christ now how has that got to do with evangelism it's very simple I like football but unfortunately I'm a Dundee supporter and I'm a Scotland supporter okay so I don't really have a lot of joy uh, in my life um, yeah so you know I but I once went to see Barcelona play Dundee United in a friendly and Barcelona were 4-0 up and I'll give credit to the Arabs that they, they all stood up and started clapping Barcelona because they were played. It was such a brilliant game. I was so excited when I got on the bus home. I couldn't care less if you were a you know 80 year old granny who only spoke Serbo-Croat. I was going to tell you about that game. I, I didn't bother. I was I was so excited about what I'd seen. I was going to approach you and tell you. That's the problem with evangelism in this country. Because most Christians who do evangelism, if they do it at all, do it out of a sense of guilt. Like Jehovah's Witnesses. We've got to do it. We've got to tick the box. I want people in my church to be so excited that you have to shut them up when they come out. That they come out and say, you'll never believe what I just heard. You'll never believe what I've seen. I've seen a couple of old guys um, in the street in Dundee, you know, just talking to them. And they uh, introduced myself and they said, ah, we can hear I said, well, how do you can? We're fed up with your sermons. I'm going, okay, I don't think I've ever seen you in church. Uh, you know, so how can you be fed up? He says, oh, we hear them all the time. And I'm thinking, how did it? You ever been in the church? No. So how do you hear them? Is it like the loop system getting into your death aids or something? You know, how's it working? And they said, we have it every Sunday in the pub. And it's uh, the pub just just down the road from the church and I said okay well how does that happen well remember this is the free church by the way so one of the guys from the, one of the guys who was coming to the church right after every service he went to the pub for his Sunday lunch but he has a big voice and so he would go in and he would have his meal and he'd tell everyone in the pub well he'd tell his table what I'd been saying in the sermon and the whole pub would hear and I'm thinking okay I'm, I'm not that keen on going out to the pub on a Sunday but you know God can use anything and he's just, he's just communicating so the thing is in order to evangelize you've got to have something to tell and that's why we preach the gospel to ourselves continually here's the other thing you don't evangelize out of fear Right, you think Scotland's in a mess. I'm telling you, you have no idea how bad it is. I used to get in so much trouble for saying things about the Church of Scotland, the Free Church, basically anybody, um, and, and just saying where it was going. And people say, oh, you're like Jeremiah, it's doom and gloom. And my only regret now is that I didn't say the half of it. Because I saw things. And you know this, I think if the Lord was able, would showed us what he saw... We'd be heartbroken over our cities and towns. Because I know right now, even in this place, there's a kid being abused. I know that there's violence. I know that there's cheating and lying and adultery and many, many other things. But what's happening in our country at the moment is, as we're moving away from Christianity, it's not that it's being replaced with a secular nirvana. I do a lot of work with politicians. And let me tell you this. Hollywood is one of the unhappiest places. Forget the politics. I'm talking about personally. One of the unhappiest places in, 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 in Scotland. I just did an interview with BBC yesterday and he says, what do you think you're leaving? I said, well, to be honest, I think I'm leaving quite a miserable place. 
And I said, that breaks my heart. I'm not saying that out of... I'm, I'm saying there's, there's joy and there's good things in this, in this land. But there's a brokenness in this land. And there's a tendency sometimes for Christians to despair. Oh, I remember the days when the hills were black with people going to church. Well, you've got a good memory. You know, but we look round and Christians can despair. Oh, look what's happening, look what's happening. Well, Murray McShane, whose church I'm in, had this great saying. For every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. And I, I think that's what I would like to do and encourage us in that. And this, this confidence, I think, in Christ. And that's the key, by the way. It's not a confidence in yourself. It's a confidence in the Lord. Um, you get confident in yourself. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to let yourself down. And you're going to let other people down. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Um, let me join this. Right, there, um, uh, there are lots of reasons to be fearful. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I was going into, when um, the Da Vinci Code came out, it was absolute rubbish. But you can basically use anything to talk about Jesus. So the local church of Scotland and ourselves and the Free Church, we got together and they said, well, do you want to do an outreach event? And I said, yeah, let's do it in the Dundee Contemporary Arts Centre. So I went down to the Contemporary Arts Centre and I said to them, guys, can we hire your cinema so that after you do a showing of the Da Vinci Code, we do a debate about it? And they said, no, 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 what's your proposal? And I told them, and they said, no, no, you can't hire it. This is what it says, well, no, no, we'll run the event. And I thought, okay, this is unusual. Um, what do you mean? Well, yeah, come and do your event, arrange it and do it, and we'll sell tickets for it. And I said, no, 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 it's for free. And they said, no, it's not for free. I said, well, no, no, you don't understand. I said, the church will pay you for the tickets. And they said, no, David, trust us. You've got to make people pay for this. And I'm going... Make people pay to be evangelised. This is a concept I hadn't quite grasped before. <laughs> I'm not charismatic, so I don't know about these things. No. <laughs> Terry Virgo would kill me for that one. No. Um, so I said, okay, explain how this works. And they said, well, we'll charge £3 a ticket. We'll take two, and you get one. And I'm going, okay, we'll buy all the tickets. He says, no, don't buy all the tickets. Because if you give them away, half the people won't turn up. This is Scotland. When people pay, they turn up. So I thought, okay, fair enough, we'll go with this. And uh, I thought, my elders are going to love this. We're being paid to evangelise, which I just thought was great. Um, I could, but we couldn't believe it. There was over 200 people. It was, sold, it was a sellout. It was a complete sellout. And half of them were people who didn't go to church. And I remember going in with Jim Spence the BBC uh, Radio Scotland journalist who I've just put an interview up with by the way um, and he looked at me and he said Davey, it's just like, I'm sorry about this the other two guys are against you on this panel he says, it's just you and I looked at him and says, nah and Jim's a good Catholic boy, you know and he kind of looked and he went and I said, yeah, you got it <laughs> I, said, I, I don't care if the whole place is hostile that's where our confidence comes from. It doesn't come from our own ability. What can man do to me? What can they do? You grasp that, it really does take away fear. Now, I think there's a danger that this is seen as pietism. Oh, they just you know, trust in Jesus. And it doesn't really affect the real world. And we want to be practical. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of that other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. You understand that? So, my son's doing a church plant in the worst housing scheme in Dundee, which basically puts us pretty well one of the worst in Scotland. You know, a couple of places in Glasgow and Kirkcaldy uh, probably go along with it. You know what the temptation is? The temptation is we're going to save people from drug addiction. We're going to save people from... We're going to provide the food banks and everything. All of which is really, really important. You understand that? It's really important. I'm not saying they're not important. Do you know what he's doing? He, we, they opened up this... They got this shop. They've done it up. Paid the council for it. Um, it's funny. The local community think... They come around... And this tells you about a bit more than Scotland than anything. They think it's a centre for a needle exchange or a mosque. Isn't that amazing? And people come in and he just simply says this my aim is to bring Jesus to the people that's what the drug addict needs the drug addict is, is no more needy than the middle class housewife no more needy they're all, they're all lost without Jesus and they all need Jesus and I think you know there's another way of putting this uh, we shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object you know, our object is to proclaim Christ. Our object is to tell people about Jesus. And when people see Jesus, that absolutely changes everything. That again is, see, we must learn to want something even more. Right? It's so important that, that we, we have got something to offer people that's beyond the lottery. That is beyond anything that they could possibly imagine. I, I, some of you know that I was seriously ill in 2011 and I, I'll, I'll never forget this particular, I, I was asked to speak about it in uh, a housing scheme in Dundee uh, in a church outreach there and I said so I didn't really want to, I didn't like talking about the illness and they said please do, so I did and afterwards this woman came up to me and, she, and I'll never forget, she, was, she, was, she had tears in her eyes and she said my partner died uh, of a brain tumour, I've got a brain tumour I've got three teenage kids for a while. I live in this dump. I can't get a job. I can't go to hospital because who's going to look after my kids? And, and, and it's just this pouring out of all this stuff. And I looked at her and I said, you know this, life is pretty ugly, isn't it, for you? She said, yeah. She said, you know, I'd love to be able to say, I can heal you. I can get you a job. I can look, get you, look after your kids. I can get you a new partner. I said, I can't do that. But I can tell you this, I know somebody who is so beautiful and so powerful that he can take even the ugliest thing and make it beautiful. And she looked at me and she said, if only that were true, and started crying. And I said, it is. That's all I've got. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, when you, when you, when you present people with Jesus, the other stuff follows. And I think sometimes we put the other stuff first. So. Let me just go through some of this. How, do we, how, how can we be confident in, in Christ? Because of who he is. He's the radiance of God's glory. We're going to go through the whole book of Hebrews, right? <laughs> Very quickly. Um, the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He's the radiance of God's glory. 
We talk about the glory of God. We talk about the presence of Christ. Let me tell you this. When we experience the presence of Christ, it's little wonder that in revival people fell down as though dead. Huh? We're, we're, we're showing people, who is God? Who is God? And I do a lot of debating, as some of you know, and arguing. The theistic proofs and the cosmological proof and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, it boils down to, why do I believe? Because of Jesus. You know? I was up in Stirling University and I was debating um, atheists. And this, this has never happened to me before. And I, I, it's not rarely happened to me since. The president of the Atheist Society stood up and he said, Okay, David, you've destroyed my atheism. And I, I'm Scottish, you see, so I thought, nah, it's a wind-up. <laughs> you know, he's, he's trying to trick me, he's trying to get me. You know, you're not getting me. I said, okay, go ahead, come on. What do you mean I've destroyed you? You've destroyed my atheism. He said, I accept it, you've destroyed my atheism. Now what do you believe? And I saw he was for real. And I was so stunned. You know, you just don't expect the Lord to work. Um, and and I, was, I was like, what? Um, I, 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 I said what I believed. And he says, why do you believe it? And I started giving him a list. And I said, no, no, actually stop. I'm not going to give you a list of why I believe. I'm going to tell you this. I believe because of Jesus. That's it. And he looked at me and he said, who's Jesus? Now I knew he had a vague idea of who Jesus was. And then it struck me that we are seeking to communicate the gospel by believing in Jesus to people who don't know who Jesus is. So our first priority is to tell who Jesus is. And I thought, what will I do? I, I, I need to... Um, I'd like to have a book to give him and I couldn't find one because all the books about Jesus and you were written for Christians so I thought I wrote a book called Magnificent Obsession which is really just an, it's an introduction to Jesus for people who know nothing about him and you know this it's just remarkably effective so many people say, oh, I wish that were true. I wish that were true. It is true. Jesus is real. Jesus is not dead. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about Christ. And he's the radiance of God's glory. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. He's the one to whom everything is subject. Hebrews 2.8. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. You just go, what? Nothing. Not the politicians. Not the demons. Not your dreadful situation at work or in your family. There is nothing that is not subject to Jesus. There's a form of Christianity which kind of says there's a battle going on and we're not sure who's going to win. No, no, no. We, we know who's won. D-Day has happened. The cross is D-Day. It's done. It's done. There's nothing that is not subject to Jesus Christ. Yet at present, he says, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The one to whom everything is subject. I love Epper's phrase, there isn't a single square inch on earth to which Christ does not say it's mine. Don't ever, ever say this is the devil's territory. It's not. Subject. It's subject. Always. He's the one who by his death destroys the power of death since the children of flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death it's not angels helps but Abraham's descendants for the reasons he had to be like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people he himself suffered when he's tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. My goodness, you could reflect on those 
those words for weeks and still not grasp the depth of them. And you think, I hate cancer. I hate it. I hate when I hear about death. Just had a friend, a dear, dear friend, die two days ago. You know, for him as a Christian, it's glorious. I've seen people die in fear. If there's nothing afterwards, why are they afraid? I've seen Christians die in glory. And I'm, I mean, sometimes I've seen Christians die in fear as well, I have to say that. But I have, uh, it, it, it can be quite extraordinary to one and just say, I'm ready. It's okay. To not be afraid of death. So not being afraid of death, which is stupid. You know, so, hey, I can take bullets. Or I remember in Livingston, in one of the, when, I, when I lived in Livingston for a while in one of the Maltese, the guy who sniffed glue and thought he could fly, when he jumped out the third story window, he soon found out he couldn't fly. But that wasn't bravery on his part, it was stupidity. There, there is such a thing as stupidity. But there is a bravery which says, the last enemy is death. Uh, I, I admit it, as a Christian, I was very afraid of death. I know that, that's wrong, and it probably is wrong. Until in 2011, I almost died. And that, that bizarrely, it was a horrible, horrible experience in every way, spiritually as well. And yet, bizarrely, it, it, it took away my fear of death because I thought, no, Jesus has been here already. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Duncan had a great phrase, there is no pit so deep that Christ has not gone deeper still. You know? Nobody else has been there with you, but he has. And I think that's wonderful. He destroys the power of death. He's the builder of the church. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Oh, the church is dying. Oh, the church is going to be this. Oh, the church is going to be that. Yeah, my denomination and your denomination be like that. But God will build his church. Always. Always. So, forget. I mean, I'm not a big fan of strategies. Uh, My elders and everything just... You know, we've been spending about 10 years trying to get some kind of mission statement. And I can't be bothered, to be honest. Because I I just think, you know, my mission statement is to tell people about Jesus. And let's get on with it. And they're, oh, well, a mission statement this, a mission statement that. I'm going, no, no, no. God is going to build his church. So, I was at a conference a while ago and speaking to this woman from Albania. 25 years ago, there was one evangelical family in the whole of Albania. Now there's 25,000. You know? Don't think that, oh, well, if it's not working in my church and it's not working in, in my area or in Scotland, things don't you? You know, God is at work all over the place. And God is also at work in Scotland. You know? It, it may surprise us. It may shock us that God sometimes works through people who we don't like very much or who we don't get on with or who don't fit into our plans but it's the Lord's plan and he builds his church and Christ is faithful and if we are his house we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast I think what the crying need in Scotland today is for Christians and especially Christian men to be courageous I see more women who are more courageous than a lot of the men you know the men are scared of taking on responsibility in their own homes or in work or elsewhere you know we've got a wrong kind of courage and I think there's another reason for confidence he's the one whose word reveals all creation even the heart for the word of God is living and active it's sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before him for the eyes of him to whom we must give account this book 
is living and active. Far too many Christians think, well, we, get, we need a prophetic word that's not this book. And my prophetic word is, I'm bringing back stoning for anyone who leaves their phone on. No. <laughs> Listen, I've done it. And I tell you, it was so funny. We had a guy just converted and, 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 and we had the communion, you know, with the white tablecloths and all that kind of stuff. One time, and just at the end of the communion, there was this silence and this solemnity and it was wonderful. And the guy's phone started playing La Bamba. And <laughs> And it, and it was a new phone and he didn't know how to put it off, you know, so he, and his face was beetroot. I so enjoyed it. I was so, so, so watching. But anyway, that's enough shaming. Um, <laughs> but you know, God's word, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of uh, people from a charismatic background come to my church, which is the Free Church, and they'll come and say, well, what can I, uh, you know, because it's such a different style of worship, well, what kind of preaching do you do? And I always say prophetic preaching. Because they like that, as long as they don't hear it as pathetic. But, uh, uh, but actually, that's what it is. This is the Word of God. I don't know. When people come in and you teach God's Word, sometimes I've seen people get really mad. Remember one guy up in Broda, up in the Highlands. And I'm standing at the door, and he comes out. It's an oil rig worker, and it's the first time he's been in church. And he came out, and he looked at me, and he said, You! You just come to my house to get information about me. So you could preach that stuff. And I said, whoa, back off. I said, first of all, I don't make up my sermons on the moment. Uh, I, didn't, I hadn't a clue you were going to be here. Uh, and secondly, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. That's God speaking to you. And his face went white. And he literally ran down the driveway. And I had this old elder beside me who never said boo to a goose. And I'll never forget, old Rod shouted out, Ah, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> I just thought, oh my goodness. I, just thought, I thought, yeah. You can't hide from God's word. Revival comes to this nation when you and I are convicted by the Holy Spirit from the word of God. If you go to church and say, I want to be in my comfort zone, uh-uh, God is going to speak and it's going to challenge you and you're going to feel convicted. And you know this, when you do feel that, be so thankful that the Lord is not finished with you. The worst thing God could ever do to you is not speak to you. Yeah. The worst thing God could ever do to this nation, Romans 1, God gave them over, God gave them over. God, it's what I call the Burger King theology. Have it your way. And the worst thing God has said to this country is, have it your way. We're having it our way and we're really screwing up. And we've got, we're only beginning to screw up. So we're saying, no, no, we've got a word from God. And it's a real and living word. Who he is? Uh, Martin Luther. I love what uh, Luther says in this. Christ wishes his mysteries published as openly as possible. I would that even the lowliest women read the Gospels and the Pauline epistles. He was a misogynist, like most of you. Uh, and I would that they were all translated into all languages so that they could be read and understood. I love this. Not only by the Scots and the Irish, the lowest of the low, you know, but also by Turks and Saracens. Would that as a result the farmer sings some portion of them at the plough, the weaver hums some part of them to the movement of his shuttle, the traveller lighten the weary of the journey with stories of this kind let all the conversation of every Christian be drawn from this source I knew we were getting somewhere in St. Peter's when I walked into local coffee shops and I saw people sitting down with Bibles discussing the word of God in public remember doing it one time I was talking to just a, a, a friend from another church and we were talking about how we reach people and in the middle of our conversation this man came up and he tapped the table and he said I hate you people 
And I, I looked at him and said, in the name of love? <laughs> you know, and, just, and then he stormed out. You know, but you know when it's the talk of the steamy, when the gospel's the talk of the steamy. Yeah. It's hardly the talk of the church, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes, you know? But when the gospel's the talk of the steamy, you know that the gospel's beginning to have impact. It's the word of God. We have confidence because he is the great high priest sympathizes with, with our weaknesses. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, Christ is powerful. Christ is almighty. The awesomeness and glory of Christ makes us fall down. And yet, this is the absolutely amazing thing. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. I'm ripped apart with doubt and fear. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with, with despair. My temper. Or all these different things. I can put on a face when I go to church. Yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Christ knows our weaknesses better than we know them ourselves. He's without sin. He's tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. You don't come to God's throne and say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm in a really good place right now spiritually. Do you know you come to God's place, God's throne with confidence. You know what the confidence is? That he'll listen and that he'll forgive. And you go back a thousand times and he will still do it. You know, it's, it's, it's because of who Jesus is. He's the submissive suffering source of salvation. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Jesus learned obedience. You will find, as Dostoevsky says, that people who want a big heart will experience the most suffering. See, I don't like a gospel which says to people, come to Jesus and you'll be immune from suffering. Actually, come to Jesus, you'll share in his wounds. Come to Jesus and you won't be able to ignore the poverty and the brokenness. And you'll weep over the city. You know Dale Moody's story about in Glasgow in Socky Hall Street where he, he just stepped into a doorway and burst into tears at the state of the people of Glasgow? My friend David Meredith, minister up in Smithton, now the Free Church's missions director, once said, I've seen people weep over the movement of a communion table. I've rarely seen anyone weep over lost souls. Yeah. See, there's a... There's a you, want to, you want to go deep. God will dig deep. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous prayer, but that's why Christ was. He's the suffering, submissive source of salvation. I love this as well. He's gone into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Those of you from a good old gospel background, brethren background, will know that one. Our fishermen, you'll know it. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. You don't go, hey Lord, I'm here, it's me. I'm great. You, you know, you and me will make a good deal. You say, no, Jesus has gone on our behalf. Jesus, I, for any of you who've ever been in court, it's a really good idea to have a good advocate and not to do it yourself. And been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? You, but to have Jesus, Son of God, as your advocate. 
Wow. Who's going to win against him? No one. That's, for me, that's lovely. Um, he's the guarantee and the perfect priest. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Many of these priests. He's, able, he's, he's a permanent priesthood. He's a permanent priesthood. Don't turn your religion into something that, well, if I keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this, then I'll be okay. Jesus is the permanent priest. Uh, such a high priest meets our need one who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners exalted above the heavens do you know that gives you a great freedom in evangelism by the way and can I tell you what that freedom is it's when the guy stands up a meeting I was doing down in London and he, from the back of the room he yells at me are you saying I'm a sinner and I was I can see his fist clenched I can see everything else and I was thinking what do I do if he comes down in the front, do I hit him first or <laughs> You know, then pray for forgiveness. I mean, what, what, what you know? And, and he, thankfully, the place was so crowded, he couldn't get to me. He was trying to get to me. And he, I said, "What's your problem?" He said, "You think I'm a sinner?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute. Before you come any further, listen to this. Just listen to me. I will guarantee 100 percent, 100 percent, that I'm a worse sinner than you." And I said, "Because I don't think you know who God is. I do, and I know who Jesus is." And yet I still sin. That makes me a lot worse than you. That's why Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And the look on his he went white and sat down. And I thought, what have you done? He must have murdered someone or something. <laughs> but, you know, he was kind of, I'm staying away from this guy if he's worse than me. <laughs> um, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite how I meant it. But. but Christ is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He's the mediator of the new covenant, giving complete forgiveness. Romans 9, 11-15. He came as high priest of the good things already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not man-made. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. He bought it. He, he purchased it. He's got it. Um, your faith is... Your, your, your salvation is not in doubt. You believe in Jesus. You're not in a trial period to see if you survive. Yeah. Your salvation is not... You will survive because your salvation is not in doubt. That's how you survive. You survive by knowing that Jesus paid for you. Now, when people come and say, well, look, I don't feel this, and I'm, I've backslidden, and I've struggled with this, my simple answer to that is this, and I'm sorry, it's a very cold, logical one, but also a very emotional one. It's this. Are you telling me that your sin is greater than the blood of Christ? That somehow... Of all the people in the world, you've managed to overcome the blood of Christ. No, no, no. The blood of Jesus deals with all sin. We've been, we've been freed under the first... See, everyone you know who's not a Christian, they're not free. You are. And I think we need to emphasize that freedom more and more with people. We're free to serve the living God. Because of who He is, we can draw near you know, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. We draw near to God in full assurance of faith. That's it. Your faith is in Jesus. We've got nothing but Jesus. And yet we have everything. I'm telling you, you could be the poorest man on, in, in, in the poorest housing estate in your town or city. And you're better off than Donald Trump or the richest millionaire you're better off way better off yes. you've got something to give that is really quite extraordinary so we can draw near we stand firm remember those earlier days after you would received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering 
Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly awarded. I'm sorry. If you want to evangelize, you're going to suffer. Okay, there's no way around that. I mean, I don't want you to suffer for being stupid. But the more Jesus works, the more you'll get opposition. The devil never ever bothers with churches that are asleep or dead. Never. Why should he? You're already doing his work for him. He doesn't need to wake you up. But you do his work and all hell breaks loose. With confidence. This is what we do. And this is just, I'm just working through, we walk by faith, Hebrews 11, uh, we run the race, Hebrews 12, and we go with confidence. And I'm just going to list these things uh, just to finish with. We love each other as brothers and sisters. Hugely important. Hugely important. The biggest hindrance, I think, to the work of the gospel in Scotland today is Christians who don't do this. Right? You, you don't have to like everybody. You know? That, that's not the issue. But we, we love each other. We're hospitable to strangers. That's he, again, we're just working through Hebrews 13. Hospitality is such a huge thing. You know, I know lots of people who will argue and stuff and then come to my house and have a meal and have ink together. It's a huge thing. It's a fantastic thing. We remember them in prison. I think that is an important thing. Now, in, in the Hebrews 13 context, it's speaking especially of Christians who've been sent to prison for their faith. But we support one another. You know, that, that's really what that's saying. We honour marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. Maybe that's the second biggest thing, I think, um, that we have a difficulty with that causes problems with the church. People who preach the gospel of Jesus and then deny it by the lives they live, especially by accepting the sexual standards of the world around. Ah, you, you've got to be faithful. You know, um, uh, many times I've tempted with different things uh, and I'm saying, no, I'm not doing it because I love my wife, that's one thing. But I love Jesus and I'm not doing it. You know, and I think... I, I heard, uh, Somebody, I heard him say this, giving free reign to human nature would require abolishing all morality, not just monogamy. And we have to be an example. You know? And that is important. We keep our lives free from the love of money. That's a tough one in today's culture. It's not wrong to have money. It is wrong to love it. And it's very difficult not to love it if you do have it. But, use it. we remember our leaders, and that's speaking church leaders. Pray for them. It's very easy to decry people within the church, but pray for your leaders and pray that God would raise up prophets in our generation. We remain faithful to the word. Abraham uh, Lincoln, the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to men. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Men of God are men of the word. We go outside the camp to the poor and to the schools. Alavishnal Mangalwadi says, Before the Reformation, Roman Catholic churches were open seven days a week in Holland. The devout went to the church whenever they wanted to meet with God. They would light their candles, kneel and pray. After the Reformation, the church leaders decided to lock their churches on Sunday night. Not because they became less religious, but because they became more religious. If you're not out in the community, if you're not living with people, how can you talk to people about God unless you're talking to people? It's simple, isn't it? You should know your neighbour, you should know your shopkeepers. Chat to people. We continue to God a sacrifice of praise through Jesus. I mean, we can talk about these things after we've had coffee if you want to go back. But the, the, the praise aspect is hugely, hugely significant. Now, that sacrifice of praise isn't just singing, but it does include that. Jesus put this song into my heart. 
You know, we've got that. We do can share with others. Malcolm Muggeridge. I've spent a number of years in India and Africa where I found such righteous endeavor undertaken by Christians of all denominations. But I never, as it happens, came across a hospital or orphanage run by the Fabian Society or a humanist leper colony. And you won't. You know, we spend and spend to serve. We pray, we are equipped. Communication and belief matter. Revelation generates hope and effort. At times, believing what you are told means the difference between life and death. The issue is not whether there is hope for the West, but whether the West has the humility to return to Revelation, whether it can recover the faith that generates hope. See, we believe in Revelation. We believe in the revelation of God. I reason with people and I argue with people. And you should probably the same thing. Maybe not to the extent that I do or in the manner that I do, but you probably should. But I'll tell you this. If God does not reveal himself to people, you're as well going out, oh, I'll have a graveyard outside my church, I'm as well going out speaking to the gravestones. You need the Holy Spirit to evangelize. And you need God to work in people's lives. And you can see it. You can see. You can see. Sometimes you actually visually see it. I saw a woman who was a Jehovah's Witness. And as she came out of the church, she said to me, David, can I talk to you during the week? And I said, come on, we'll meet up. And I met up. And she says, you're not going to believe this. But I've been converted. And I said, no, no, I do believe it. And she said, why? I said, why? Why, why do you believe it? I said, because. I said, I saw your face on Sunday. I said, you just lit up. I, I could see that you'd been, you were almost physically transformed before me. That's very rare. I've seen that. But it does happen. Interestingly, I said, what was the difference between the gospel and Jehovah's Witness? And she said, oh, that's easy, the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, yeah, I can see, you know, you know, and that's it, you know, and, and I just think that we need that revelation. But, and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm finished, we need the revelation of Jesus Christ to ourselves so that we can reveal to others. Some of us are living off memories that are 20, 30 years old. And you know the most important prayer I think you'll ever pray in terms of evangelism is, Lord, show me yourself. Show me yourself. And then when you see the beauty of Jesus, you want to share and you want to communicate it. So maybe we'll talk a little bit more about how we do that after coffee, but can I just pray before we go for coffee? Lord Jesus, we bless you for your beauty and we bless you for your word and we bless you that even as we, we skim through these verses in Hebrews, what a rich depth is in there. This book that was written to your scattered people who were being persecuted and maybe wondered what was going on and yet in, instead of giving them a methodology or telling them everything was going to be okay, you just showed Jesus to them. And we pray you would do the same to us, that we would be men of God who follow Jesus and who reflect Christ and who show Christ to all whom we meet and bless time together this day. Lord, some of us are here and we have much to confess, but you are a gracious, forgiving God. And some of us are tired and weary, but you are renewing and refreshing God. And grant that we would experience these things even today in your name. Amen. Amen.